Welcome to A Higher Future in Healthcare, where we're exploring obstacles and solutions to healthcare's growing workforce demands. Tune in to hear from thought leaders as they share their perspectives on strategy, technology, AI, and people who are paving the way for transformative change. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Dave Brooks and Karen Conway. The human the human component clearly is key. And so, but what's interesting when you think about uh, adapt adaptation, to, you know, and, and keeping up and, and those sorts of things, um, then, then you start to get into the idea of, of technology and AI and, you know, that, that conversation, right? Because you know, more and more companies are leaning into the adoption of those sorts of things to move faster. And and so how do you balance then what, what you're all talking about, the, 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 this idea of partnerships driven by human relationships and trust and respect with the need to move fast and adapt fast, um, but always maintaining that human at the in the loop right that human core of caregiving that you know taking care of patients in the community how do we not lose that but but be able to move into the future in a much better state you know you know it's it's all about the right tool for the job again yeah. you know again this is how my brain works but <laughs> where i'm most excited it's like ai can't do everything but it can do some very cool things. The area I'm most excited about, and this has a quality and a cost component to it, is about predicting future healthcare needs. Mm. So it's interesting. It's like Geisinger a number of years ago um, when David Feinberg was still the CEO. They adopted a program where basically you had to opt out of having certain data collected to start to understand and they also did focus groups to get the human element of the patient, but to start to understand what are going to be future health needs. Now, that's where, you know, is this somebody who's likely to have an injury? Is this somebody who's likely to have their hip or their knee wear out? Is this somebody likely to get a chronic disease? You know, I had to say that. Um, but it's like, if we understand, if we can predict better, sooner, what the patient population will need. So individual patients, but then do it at scale. Then we can start planning ahead of time effectively to understand how we're going to meet those needs. And again, that might be how the acute care hospital is going to meet the needs, or it might be, hey, we need to have some kind of partnerships and make sure there's other kinds of resources that are available. That's very similar to kind of the example, Dave, that you were giving before. So that's about predicting and that's about using data to make certain decisions. But health care will always require the human touch. Now that human touch might be, you know, um, literally, you know, sometimes, you know, my stepson's an orthopedic trauma surgeon. He needs to do his work hands on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes that health care can also be delivered in a in a Zoom call, you know, at the end of a phone call, that mm -hmm. visit by that peer manager. So again, then it's about determining if you understand the needs, then you start understanding what kind of human touch is needed. Is it a doctor, a nurse, a social worker, et cetera? And again, it's a it's about managing to the needs of those patients that we care about. Mm. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's generational or, you know, my generation or, or if it, how much it permeates younger people. But I think you're right, Karen. I mean, the reality is we, we trust other, other clinical professionals with our health care. Now, if they are choosing to use technology and AI and other things to support them in the right way, I'm okay with that, right? But I, Dave Brooks, I'm not looking to not have a clinical professional of some sort helping me navigate, coordinate, think through my health care, right? I'm not looking to turn that over. We don't, because I don't trust it. Maybe someday, again, maybe that's generational, both our age generational, but even first generation AI in healthcare or whatever, you know, and two or three generations of AI in healthcare, whether that's two years from now or five years from now or whenever that ends up being, maybe that will be different. The same way right now, I, I, do, now I do now trust my Chase app on my phone to do all of my banking, where frankly, five years ago, yeah. <laughs> I still yeah. actually, although I never, I don't know how the last time I've been physically into a bank, but at least I went to an ATM at a bank, you know, and that's <laughs> okay. Now I don't even go to the ATM to, other than when I actually need a, a physical bill. Other than that, uh, cash, uh, I don't even deal with an ATM. I just do it. And so that, you know, now we're into second and third generation banking technology and AI. I've, I've accepted it and I trust it to a different degree. We're in first generation healthcare. AI. So we'll, we've got to just recognize we've got to go through some certain cycles. And again, the, the intimacy of one's healthcare needs and expectations also probably affect how rapid, you know, you used the term rapid adaptation earlier, UB, yeah. will probably influence our acceptability of what is rapid or not rapid, right? If you, yeah. if you think about it. So I think where technology and AI are there to serve and support care professionals, it's gonna generally add value and be um, adopted and kind of move along. Where it's there to replace professionals or it's there to create efficiencies or it's there to you know, make a, you don't need a person to do this, let's use a machine to do it. That, I'm not saying that won't always make, won't always, dollars and cents wise makes sense. I don't know how quickly we'll adapt that, allow that to happen, both in, as the healthcare systems or providers, but also even then the consumer, the patient, the family, the community. I, I think we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. No, you bring up a really good point though, Dave, is, um, and, and there's kind of two sides to this. Um, everything in my life I always look at is both and, not either or. So one, you know, what's our responsibility as patients? You know, we have historically, and those of us who have been around longer, you know, it was much more of a, you just let the doctor decide. You know what, we need to take more responsibility for our own health. At the same time, just solely relying on, and I'll use a current example, you know, how many people have gone, well, I'm going on WebMD and I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my, my um, you know, my uh, symptoms and it's gonna spit out the answer. Well, you know what? We are not trained in medicine. And so we don't know how different parts of the body interact, et cetera. And the other fact is it's not just about the physical. It's about what's happening in your in your mind. It's also about preferences. Some people are very risk averse. Some people are not. Some people have, 
you know, have the financial capabilities, some do not. It's about treating the whole person. And I want to go to those professionals who have expertise in a variety of areas. The one thing is I would like the the healthcare professionals across that entire continuum to work a little bit more closely together and share, you know, um, you know, I've got a friend who's got, she's got Parkinson's. She's about 15 years into the disease. She has, she has nine different specialists that are working together and she's making sure they all talk to one another. So how can we use perhaps AI to support that? So let's look at technology shouldn't run things we should determine how technology can help us optimize what we do. It's funny, within the last day or two, you know, one of these many emails we all get with, you know, updated news and healthcare facts and figures, you know, modern healthcare, whatever it might be. There was something I remember seeing within the last day or two that talked about the accuracy of AI in, in clinical care. And it was like 70 something percent. I mm. forgot exactly what it was. And it, you know, it's 70 something percent accurate. Now, I don't know what that, I, I didn't read the whole thing and read the study. It was almost more the headline. And then I thought to myself, I wonder what the human performance is. You know, it's not a hundred percent. I mean, caregivers don't get it right. And I don't mean malpractice. I just mean, yeah. you know, complicated issues that they, it doesn't always work perfectly uh, yeah. or is understood perfectly. So it's not a hundred percent either. And then I thought to myself, okay, so let's uh, let's give humans the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they're 85% and AI is only 75 or 72 or whatever percent it was. So obviously it's outperforming it. But what about what happens when you put it together? Yeah. So does all of a sudden it become as a combined model? Is it like 90% also when you take the human at 85% or whatever, and I'm making that up, and AI at 72% and I'm making that up, separately but when you combine the two together i would assume it's got to raise above that maximum currently at 85 to something better what is it and how do we start thinking of it that way as an enabler as an enhancer versus a replacement i think that's the part that's scaring people right now both caregivers but also patients and communities you know and why the regulators are going to get involved and all this type of thing is it's it's seen, like you were saying, Karen, it's kind of an either or, not an and, right? Yeah. Not a combined between the two. How do we figure out how to do that? Yeah. I mean, it's part well, of what our... Yeah. Go ahead, UB. Well, I was just going to say, it, it, it's it's such a good... Because um, one of the things we're going to do after this is, is follow up with an article um, that will kind of... And I think this this actually is a good conversation to have in that article in terms of because for me, I feel like the, the the biggest issue is how we introduce these concepts to people and how we define these things, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're coming out of the gate saying that AI is going to solve all our problems, well, then we've now set that expectation unrealistically high. And so, of course, everybody's going to either be scared of it or think it's going to solve all our problems. And neither happens, but it, it and, and we end up at 70%, you know, and, and so it's like, we're not setting the right expectations. Um, and I believe part of that is, is the responsibility of leadership to come in and right define these things and, and introduce these things to their workforce and, and really you know, say, look, this is why we want to do this. And 
This is how it's going to help all of us be better at delivering care. Um, and so I want to I want to leave that that dive in, you know, conversation for the article. But I think, you know, it's I see this just in general across the board. You know, marketing sometimes is not a good thing. It doesn't do the right thing that we need it to do to spread the right message. And it just confuses things and it causes fear. Um, you know, I think we see a lot of that uh, just in general. <laughs> and so how do we avoid that? And, and, you know, I think that's where leadership can play a big part. But so let's leave that for that. Um, how about one last kind of like thought provoking, you know, leave behind from each of you um, to close us out just, you know, around around what we've been talking about. Dave, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> What's that? You're first. Dave. Oh, okay. Passing the well, buck. Launch, uh, all right, I'll do it that way. Get way, Karen. You get to be the closer. You get to wrap it there up there, <laughs> which is probably good, uh, smarter. Uh, you know, but I am going to launch a little bit on what you said. Let's leave for the article because I do think it relates to it all. It, yeah. It's it's again from whether it's technology or AI, and I'm still struggling with kind of. There's a, I think there's a difference between the two, but mm -hmm. I don't know if I can explain it as a non-technical person, but, but I'll, 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 I'll lump it all together kind of as, you know, using machines to enhance or be involved in processes versus humans only. Um, and I do think that it, connecting that with what you were saying about leadership, it's going to be, a lot of this is going to be about being willing to, to trust our teams. Right. Mm -hmm. If if the C-suite says we're going to be bringing this technology or this AI in, in to help make, you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm from administration. I'm here to help or whatever the cliche is or orders from headquarters or whatever it might, whatever the bad <laughs> cliches were about us suits when I was a suit. Uh, you know, if, if we're bringing things and telling people, here's how to improve your work or, or you need to do this or whatever. You know, it basically says to people, we don't trust you. And I think if we start mm. saying, we trust our teams, yeah. we as and we as a collective team need to figure this out with whether we are automating processes or we're bringing AI in, if there's a difference between the two or whatever, let's trust our teams to help us figure that out. And I don't mean let's have a nurse who's now the C chief nurse information officer figure it out. No, let's have the nurses, the staff nurses be involved with that. Now, a good leader, a CNIO leader, will know how to do that and bring that in versus be directive, right? Yeah. But I think we're going to have to figure out in a, in a different way than we've done it in the past, how we trust our teams to help organize and solve this. It can't happen out of the C-suite or out of management alone. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, absolutely. And I look forward to um, exploring all of those concepts because I think you're spot on, Dave. Uh, I think I'll just end with um, just a thought in terms of perspective. Um, I thought it was interesting, your, your point you made earlier about kind of when we went from we went from a situation where you had kind of a cottage industry of different hospitals and healthcare systems saying, hey, I'll do this and you do that because that's what's going to benefit and we're not going to duplicate. Then um, for a variety of reasons, right and wrong, you know, moving much more to this market based. 
Um, but I think we've created this, sometimes this assumption in healthcare that it, it has to be highly, highly competitive and that we can't be successful unless we are. And that I disagree with that. And I think we've got plenty of examples. Um, I had the opportunity about 10 years ago, wrote a, um, a co-wrote a book on global leadership. And in that had a chance to interview about 10 different global leaders, one of whom was Jim Whitehurst, uh, CEO of Red Hat. And he talked about how this open source approach, this very collaborative approach, they basically gave away, you know, the IP to some of their competitors. Um, but because of other things, their service approach, et cetera, they actually continue to do better than their competitors. You see this now with Tesla. Um, you know, and people starting to partnership and using some of their technology, whether it's for, you know, the batteries or whether it's for the refueling. And I've had a personal example, um, worked for over two decades with a technology company that was started by five competing healthcare suppliers, Johnson mm. & Johnson, Baxter, Abbott, GE, and Medtronic. And they came together and they said, you know what, we all have a shared problem. And we can either spend a bunch of money duplicating our solutions, or we can come together. And even better yet, they said, you know what, we've got to create a solution that is supporting the needs of our customers. So a solution that solves, every, you know, solves the problem for everybody. It's the idea of where is it best to collaborate and where is it best to compete? And you can do both. And so I look forward to being able to, um, to look at that at multiple levels um, in, uh, in the follow-up blog we'll work on. Yeah, I love it. Well, I can't thank you both enough. This has been an amazing conversation. I mean, clearly we could go on for so long to talk about these things because it needs to, that these conversations need to happen. Right. And so um, uh, thank you both very much for your time. Thank you listeners for tuning in and, you know, continue to look to check out our, our series here at a higher future in healthcare um, because we're going to keep having these conversations and these follow-up articles and, and those sorts of things. So thank you all again. Thank you, Karen and Dave. It's been great. And we'll check you all next time. Take care. A Higher Future in Healthcare is a production of IIA Healthcare, a healthcare technology company and creators of Interview IA, an interview platform for healthcare organizations to streamline their interview processes to deliver unparalleled candidate experiences and to create a true competitive advantage for delivering quality care. Learn more at www.iiahealthcare.com.